Amazon Books, your weekly program about great reads through book talks, trailers, and first chapters. Presented by Mrs. Winningham and Mrs. Kovach. The City of Ember by Jeanne Dupro. Published by Yearling, a division of Random House. The Instructions When the city of Ember was just built and not yet inhabited, the chief builder and the assistant builder, both of them weary, sat down to speak of the future. They must not leave the city for at least two hundred years, said the chief builder, or perhaps two hundred and twenty. Is that long enough? asked his assistant. It should be. We can't know for sure. And when the time comes, said the assistant, how will they know what to do? We'll provide them with instructions, of course, the chief builder replied. But who will keep the instructions? Who can we trust to keep them safe and secret all that time? The mayor of the city will keep the instructions, said the chief builder. We'll put them in a box with a timed lock, set to open on the proper date. And will we tell the mayor what's in the box? The assistant asked. No, just that it's information they won't need and must not see until the box opens of its own accord. So the first mayor will pass the box to the next mayor, and that one to the next and so on down through the years, all of them keeping it a secret all that time? What else can we do? asked the chief builder. Nothing about this endeavor is certain. There may be no one left in the city by then, or no safe place for them to come back to. So the first mayor of Ember was given the box, told to guard it carefully, and saw that When she grew old and her time as mayor was up, she explained about the box to her successor, who also kept the secret carefully, as did the next mayor. Things went on as planned for many years, but the seventh mayor of Ember was less honorable than the ones who'd come before him, and more desperate. He was ill. He had the coughing sickness that was common in the city by then, and he thought the box might hold a secret that would save his life. He took it from its hiding place in the basement of the gathering hall and brought it home with him, where he attacked it with a hammer. But his strength was failing by then. All he managed to do was dent the lid a little. And before he could return the box to its official hiding place or tell his successor about it, he died. The box ended up at the back of a closet, shoved behind some old bags and bundles, and there it sat, unnoticed, year after year, until its time arrived, and the lock quietly clicked open. Chapter 1. Assignment Day In the city of Ember, the sky was always dark. The only light came from the great flood lamps mounted on the buildings, and at the tops of poles in the middle of the larger squares. 
When the lights were on, they cast a yellowish glow over the streets. People walking by threw long shadows that shortened and then stretched out again. When the lights were off, as they were between nine at night and six in the morning, the city was so dark that people might as well have been wearing blindfolds. Sometimes darkness fell in the middle of the day. The city of Ember was old, and everything in it, including the power lines, was in need of repair. So now and then the lights would flicker and go out. These were terrible moments for the people of Ember. As they came to a halt in the middle of the street or stood stock still in their houses, afraid to move in the utter blackness, they were reminded of something they preferred not to think about. That someday the lights of the city might go out and never come back on. But most of the time life proceeded as it always had. Grown people did their work and younger people, until they reached the age of 12, went to school. On the last day of their final year, which was called Assignment Day, they were given jobs to The graduating students occupied Room 8 of the Ember School. On Assignment Day of the year 241, this classroom, usually noisy first thing in the morning, was completely silent. All 24 students sat upright and still at the desks they had grown too big for. They were waiting. The desks were arranged in four rows of six, one behind the other, and the last row sat a slender girl named Lena Mayfleet. She was winding a strand of her long, dark hair around her finger, winding and unwinding it again and again. Sometimes she plucked at a thread on her ragged cape or bent over to pull on her socks, which were loose and tended to slide down around her ankles. One of her feet tapped the floor softly. In the second row was a boy named Dune Harrow. He sat with his shoulders hunched, his eyes squeezed shut in concentration, and his hands clasped tightly together. His hair looked rumpled, as if he hadn't combed it for a while. He had dark, thick eyebrows, which made him look serious at the best of times and, when he was anxious or angry, came together to form a straight line across his forehead. His brown corduroy jacket was so old that its ridges had flattened out. Both the girl and the boy were making urgent wishes. Dune's wish was very specific. He repeated it over and over again, his lips moving slightly as if he could make it come true by saying it a thousand times. Lena was making her wish in pictures rather than in words. She made this picture as bright and pale as she could. Lena looked up and gazed around the schoolroom. She said a silent goodbye to everything that had been familiar for so long. Goodbye to the map of the city of Ember and its scarred wooden frame and the cabinet whose shelves held the book of numbers, the book of letters, and the book of the city of Ember. Goodbye to the cabinet drawers labeled new paper and old paper. Goodbye to the three electric lights in the ceiling that seemed always, no matter where you sat, to cast the shadow of your head over the page you were writing on. And goodbye to their teacher, Miss Thorne, who had finished her last day of school speech, wishing them luck in the lives they were about to begin. Now, having run out of things to say, she was standing at her desk with her frayed shawl clasped around her shoulders.
and still the mayor, the guest of honor, had not arrived. Someone's foot scraped back and forth on the floor. Miss Thorne sighed. Then the door rattled open, and the mayor walked in. He looked annoyed, as though they were the ones who were late. Welcome, Mayor Cole, said Miss Thorne. She held out her hand to him. The mayor made his mouth into a smile. Miss Thorne, he said, enfolding her hand. Greetings, another year. The mayor was a vast, heavy man, so big in the middle that his arms looked small and dangling. In one hand, he held a little cloth bag. He lumbered to the front of the room and faced the students. His gray, drooping face appeared to be made of something stiffer than ordinary skin. It rarely moved except for making the smile that was on it now. Young people of the highest class, the mayor began. He stopped and scanned the room for several moments. His eyes seemed to look out from far back inside his head. He nodded slowly. Assignment day now, isn't it? Yes. First we get our education, then we serve our city. Again, his eyes moved back and forth along the rows of students. And again, he nodded, as if someone had confirmed what he'd said. He put the little bag on Miss Thorne's desk and rested his hand on it. What will that service be, eh? Perhaps you're wondering. He did his smile again, and his heavy cheeks folded like grapes. Lena's hands were cold. She wrapped her cape around her and pressed her hands between her knees. Please hurry, Mr. Mayor, she said silently. Please just let us choose and get it over with. Dune, in his mind, was saying the same thing, only he didn't say please. Something to remember, the mayor said, holding up one finger. Job you draw today is for three years. Then, evaluation. Are you good at your job? Fine. You may keep it. Are you unsatisfactory? Is there a greater need elsewhere? You will be reassigned. It is extremely important, he said, jabbing his finger at the class, for all work of ember to be done, to be properly done. He picked up the bag and pulled open the, draw, the drawstring. So, let us begin. Simple procedure. Come up one at a time, reach into this bag, take one slip of paper, read it out loud. He smiled and nodded. The flesh under his chin bulged in and out. Who would care to be first? No one moved. Lena stared down at the top of her desk. There was a long silence. Then Lizzie Bisco, one of Lena's best friends, sprang to her feet. I would like to be first, she said in her breathless high voice. Good. Walk forward. Lizzie went to stand before the mayor. Because her orange hair, she looked like a bright spark next to him. Now choose. The mayor held out the bag with one hand and put the other behind his back, as if to show he would not interfere. Lizzie reached into the bag and withdrew a tightly folded square of paper. She unfolded it carefully. Lena couldn't see the look on Lizzie's face, but she could hear the disappointment in her voice as she read out loud, Supply Depot Clerk. Very good, said the mayor. A vital job. Lizzie trudged back to her desk. Lena smiled at her, but Lizzie made a sour face. Supply Depot Clerk wasn't a bad job, but it was a dull one. The Supply Depot Clerks sat behind a long counter, 
took orders from the storekeepers of Ember and sent the carriers down to bring up what was wanted from the vast network of storerooms beneath Ember's streets. The storerooms held supplies of every kind. Canned food, clothes, furnitures, blankets, light bulbs, medicine, pots and pans, reams of paper, soap, more light bulbs, everything the people of Ember could possibly need. The clerks sat at their ledger books all day, recording the orders that came in and the goods that went out. Lizzie didn't like to sit still. She would have been better suited to do something else, Lena thought. Messenger, maybe. The job Lena wanted for herself. Messengers ran through the city all day, going everywhere, seeing everything. Next, said the mayor. This time, two people stood up at once, Orly Gordon and Chet Nome. Orly quickly sat down again, and Chet approached the mayor. Choose, young man, the mayor said, and Chet chose. He unfolded his scrap of paper. Electrician's helper, he read, and his wide face broke into a smile. Lena heard someone take a quick breath. She looked over to see Dune pressing a hand against his mouth. You never knew, each year, exactly which jobs would be offered. Some years there were several good jobs, like greenhouse helper, timekeeper's assistant, or messenger, and no bad jobs at all. Other years, jobs like pipeworks laborer, trash sifter, and mold scraper were mixed in. But there would always be at least one or two jobs for electrician's helper. Fixing the electricity was the most important job in Ember, and more people worked at it than anything else. Orly Gordon was next. She got the job of building repair assistant, which was a good job for Orly. She was a strong girl and liked hard work. Vindy Chance was made a greenhouse helper. She gave Lena a big grin as she went back to her seat. She'll get to work with Clary, Lena thought. Lucky. So far, no one had picked a really bad job. Perhaps this time there would be no bad jobs at all. The idea gave her courage. Besides, she had reached the point where the suspense was giving her a stomach ache. So as Vindy sat down, even before the mayor could say, Next, she stood up and stepped forward. The little bag was made of faded green material, gathered at the top with a black string. Lena hesitated a moment, then put her hand inside and fingered the bits of paper, feeling as if she were stepping off a high building. She picked one. She unfolded it. The words were written in black ink and small, careful printing. Pipeworks laborer, they said. She stared at them.